Welcome to Surveillance Report number 34, where we are dedicated to keeping you private and secure with the latest news. This report recaps some of the most noteworthy events from the last week, including the latest on the ongoing Apple and Google privacy changes, some really interesting research on stenographic attacks, an update on last year's Twitter mega hack, and more. I'm your host, Nathan from The New Oil. This podcast is listener-supported. You can support this podcast by donating to our Patreon, Coffee, Monero, signing up for Go Incognito Premium, contributing to our open-source projects like Plexus, sharing the site around, and more. Thanks to your support, we are able to keep content accessible and help further our mission of bringing privacy to the masses. Starting off in data breaches. The big story this week is that we leak info leaked customer payment information, which I guess was kind of a given for the name. WeLeakInfo was a popular website that sold usernames and passwords that they got from leaks and hacks around the internet, and it got taken down by law enforcement about a year ago. Long story short, one person realized that the email domain of WeLeakInfo was up for sale. So they bought it, they used it to do a password reset on WeLeakInfo's Stripe account, which worked and gave them access to all the customer information for paying customers. So not great, and a reminder to be careful who you trust with your payment information. Services Australia has been accused of breaching privacy. Services Australia on Friday sent an email to over 600 Northern Territory businesses informing them of the introduction of a divisive cashless debit card scheme in the territory starting Wednesday. Long story short, they used carbon copy instead of blind carbon copy. And for those who have never used those email features, carbon copy is when you want to copy a whole bunch of people. Blind carbon copy is when you want to copy a whole bunch of people, but not have their email address visible. Of course, blind carbon copy would have been the way to go because now all 600 people who were involved in this know who everybody else is. So not a huge data breach, but still just a reminder that sometimes human incompetence is the issue. And last data breach story, the personal data of line users in Japan was disclosed to a Chinese development firm. This story was kind of big. It popped up over and over in the headlines. Line is an encrypted app that apparently has data centers in China. I don't know if they claim to be end-to-end -end encrypted or if they're just regular, you know, step above SMS. Either way, they got a lot of users. They confirmed that Chinese technicians were able to access data at least 32 times, including users' names, phone numbers, email addresses, and messages reported by users. Regular messages that were not reported were not visible. I would argue that's not end-to-end -end encrypted if the provider has any way of seeing your messages, whether they're reported or not. Either way, that unfortunately happened. They've since closed up the the access point. Okay, let's move on to our company section, and we've got a lot to talk about this week. Let's start off with Google. First up, DuckDuckGo has made a tweet sharing Google's privacy labels, and there's a lot of stories about this, but this tweet was kind of what brought it to the mainstream attention. Quick recap for those who don't know, uh, I believe it was late last year, early this year, Apple started rolling out privacy labels into the App Store, which were designed to give you a quick snapshot of an app's privacy policy. Google did not add them right away, and this was really unusual because Google usually updates their apps every couple of days. Well, the way the privacy labels on the App Store work is you cannot update the app until you add the privacy labels. So Google went months, I believe, definitely several weeks without updating their apps, which was, again, very unusual. Well, they finally did, and DuckDuckGo just kind of screenshotted it and put them on blast. My personal conspiracy theory, I suspect that they were stalling this in the hopes that, you know, all this privacy label stuff would blow over, and then whenever they did finally put it out, people would be less likely to check and care. Either way, they finally updated, and what is probably not surprising to most of our listeners, the labels show that Google and Chrome both collect tons of data directly linked to users. That is why we are not big fans of Google around here. They've done some cool stuff, they have some cool products, but they have no privacy whatsoever. It's just a bad situation. 
Our next Google story is that Google is planning to go ahead with their privacy changes. So we've been talking about this a lot. Google is planning to ditch third-party cookies, and this has attracted a lot of criticism. People are pointing out that it is creating a monopoly where Google becomes the sole gateway between users and advertisers, and everyone has to proxy through them. Long story short, Google doesn't care, and they're going to keep doing it anyways because they argue that it's better for users. Speaking of Google having really cool features, Google is using machine learning to try and fix your bad sleep habits with the new Nest Hub. Allegedly in response to market demand, Google claims that a lot of people said they want this feature, Google Nest is rolling out sleep sensing, which is fortunately an opt-in feature to help track and improve sleep patterns. It uses a wide variety of microphones, motion sensors, cameras to just kind of keep an eye on you while you sleep and just give you analytics on your sleep, on your sleep, how quickly you fall asleep, how long you stay asleep, how much you move in your sleep, and kind of give you tips to sleep better. They claim that no data is going to be submitted to the servers and that it is not used for any personalized advertising. Let's pivot and go to the other side of the corporate big tech spectrum. Let's talk about Apple. An iOS developer who drew attention to App Store scams is now suing Apple. I am totally gonna butcher this name, I'm sorry. Costa Eleftiero, he's a developer of the Apple Watch keyboard app FlickType, and he is suing Apple for monopolistic practices. Basically, Costa is claiming that when he put his app out, he was targeted by fake reviews and competitors, and it damaged his, his app. He didn't get as many sales as he thinks he would have gotten if they hadn't bombarded him with fake negative reviews and stuff like that. So he did report it to Apple. Apple took some apps action and he's basically arguing that apple did not do enough a quick related story libram tunnel is leaving the ios app store so for those who don't know there is a company in the privacy community called purism purism does not just sell phones they sell computers and they also offer a suite of products like chat social mail and vpn mail and vpn are paid features to sum it up libram is being required to add in-app purchases to their vpn on the app store despite the fact that they use an external system to handle all the payment they are comparing this to the ongoing dispute between apple and epic basically apple wants to argue that if you sell any kind of app in the app store you owe them 30 percent of your profits even if that app does not use Apple's payment structure. Libram Tunnel is refusing to give in and they insist on using their own payment system that they've got externally. So they are pulling Libram Tunnel out of the iOS app store and they are offering support to paying customers to help set up OpenVPN instead of the Libram Tunnel iOS developers are being targeted with a new macOS malware. So security researchers have discovered a macOS malware being used in the wild to target iOS apps. They are calling it Xcode Spy. Again, I'm not a developer, so I apologize if I'm not summing this up well. Xcode Spy is a malicious run script that is snuck into a legitimate Xcode project. Every time the developer builds that Xcode project, Xcode Spy installs a launch agent which effectively makes it persistent, which is pretty unusual for iOS devices. Once Xcode Spy is activated, it downloads a backdoor named Eggshell. The interesting thing about this attack is it's a little bit complicated. It has not been definitively linked to any nation states, but it is suspected to be associated with North Korea based on the company who reported this, who was not named, but apparently they've been targeted by North Korea in the past. Speaking of iOS and security, iOS security fixes could soon be delivered separately from other updates iOS 14.5 beta 4 was released today or yesterday, I guess, at the time of this recording. The code suggests that Apple will soon give users the option to choose to install security updates without installing full OS features. 
which could be great news for those that just want the security and don't really give a crap about all the other stuff clogging up their OS. Certainly good news for me. I'm running an older iOS device myself, and I'm really running out of space with all these constant updates, years of OS updates. And then we got a few other odds and ends here in the company section. First up, the CEO of Sky Global is being indicted by the U.S. This is kind of a worrying headline, but let's break this down. The U.S. Department of Justice is suing Jean-Francois Ip, Ip for racketeering. That's the actual charge. What they are alleging is that he was marketing specifically to criminals as a platform that would allow them to operate outside the law. So in other words, don't panic. Surprisingly, this is not the U.S. attacking end-to-end -end encryption. Not this time. It's the U.S. attacking a company that is specifically marketing itself towards criminals and specifically advertising as a way to break the law and get away with it. Match Group is partnering with Garbo to make background checks available on Tinder. So Garbo is a company that was founded in 2018, and it aims to make background checks affordable to help prevent gender-based violence. Tinder is planning to incorporate Garbo as part of the app to help people stay safe. On the one hand, I get this. Online dating is risky. You're meeting up with a total stranger from the internet that you know nothing about, and typically you're doing it alone. You know, you typically don't bring friends with you on dates and stuff like that. So it's kind of cool. My only concern personally is it says that Garbo pulls from public records. Public records are not always accurate. So I'm hoping that, number one, Garbo is going as upstream as possible, because I'll tell you right now, if you're pulling from those people search websites, this thing is going to be so far off base. And number two, I hope that Garbo offers people a way to appeal and correct if those records are incorrect. Personally, I don't really have an issue with this. I think it's just something you should be aware of if you decide to use Tinder. Speaking of other apps, Uber and Lyft are now sharing driver information in order to boost passenger safety. So basically, Uber and Lyft will begin sharing with each other a list of drivers who have been removed from their own platforms for quote-unquote serious safety incidents. So the goal is to reduce the risk of particularly sexual offenders on both platforms. If somebody gets removed from Lyft, right now they can just bounce right over to Uber and no one's the wiser. But they're going to start sharing data with each other in the hopes that it will keep people from doing that and it'll make the platform safer as a whole. A third party called HireRight will be in charge of collecting and managing that list because of course we need to involve a third party with this. Why can't they just do it themselves? But don't worry, I'm sure that'll be breached eventually. AWS, S3 storage now holds over 100 trillion objects. This isn't really a big story. I just wanted to bring it to your attention. If any of you have followed me over from my old podcast, you remember that I had a running joke that AWS buckets are the source of at least half of all data breaches. The service is getting increasingly popular, and to my knowledge, they are not doing anything to improve their security. Let's talk about Facebook real quick. Facebook is expanding support for security keys to iOS and Android. Security keys are uh, hardware tokens, USB tokens usually, uh, YubiKey, OnlyKey, NitroKey, there's a lot of popular options out there. They're really good. They make you about as unhackable as you can be realistically when it comes to two-factor authentication. I don't encourage the use of Facebook, but if you do use Facebook, I totally recommend you use this feature now. On the less awesome side, Facebook is building an Instagram for kids under the age of 13. There is not much to say here. I read this article hoping that there was some kind of logic here. It sounds like they're just trying to hook kids while they're young. You know, they, they even straight up say in the article that part of their logic is just 
to widen their audience and hook more people. On the topic of Google, Apple, and Facebook, there is a new account-stealing malware distributed via fake software crack sites. This malware, once it gets onto your computer, it steals your passwords and your cookies, and it also has the option to deliver even more malware in the future. So the moral of the story, don't steal stuff. I mean, I get it. I'm not trying to be like Mr. You know, poor people should just buy more money, but also, man, it is so risky. And nowadays there's so many free software alternatives. Like for Photoshop, there's GIMP. For Vegas, there's like Lightworks and DaVinci Resolve is the one that Henry and I use. Like there's just so many options, guys. Don't steal stuff. It's not worth the risk, both legally and malware-ly, virus-ly technologically. And our last company story, a man is pleading guilty in Nevada to plotting to extort Tesla. So you may remember this story. Last year, there was a Russian man who was caught attempting to bribe a Tesla employee with a million dollars in order to get access to their network. In Nevada, it was a battery plant, so he could steal secrets and plant ransomware. This was actually a really unusual story, and that's one of the reasons it made headlines, because for one, it was face-to-face. -face. Usually, these attackers like to be far away, you know, in another country where they're outside U.S. jurisdiction, and typically, they also don't attempt to bribe people. Usually, they look for uh, leaked credentials, they try to brute force passwords, they try to social engineer. This guy was unusual because it was face-to-face, -face and he attempted to bribe somebody. And because of the nature of that, actually, a lot of experts speculated that this may have been a failed intelligence operation. The man obviously did not take the bribe. He went to the police. They arrested the guy. And now he is pleading guilty. Okay, let's move on to research. There has been some really interesting research this week. So first of all, a security researcher found out that you can hide zip and MP3 files inside PNGs on Twitter. This attack works, and I'm gonna go ahead and quote the article here. While Twitter strips unnecessary data from PNG uploads, they don't remove trailing data from the deflate stream inside the IDAT chunk if the overall image file meets the requirements to avoid being re-encoded. Basically, Twitter usually does strip like metadata off your images, but this guy found a part of the metadata that doesn't get stripped where you can hide other file information. So this is what's called a stenographic attack or a stenography attack, and it allows malicious actors to hide, for example, malware inside of other files, which obscures them from conventional virus detection methods and, of course, other common sense approaches. Because typically, when I see a picture, I don't think, oh, this might have a virus embedded in it. I just think, cool, it's a picture. It's a meme. I want to share it with my, my friends and stuff. Just a fun little note, he demonstrated a proof of concept by having users convert a PNG into an MP3, which played Never Gonna Give You Up by Rick Astley. So, I like this person. The next story that I thought was interesting, AI uses your brain activity to create fake faces it knows you will find attractive. So this AI came in two parts, and it uses traditional machine learning. It actually uses, I believe, what's called adversarial machine learning. Basically, one part of the AI will create a fake face, and then it will show fake faces and real faces to the other AI, the other part of the AI, which then attempts to guess which ones are real, which ones are fake. And so as they do this constant back and forth feedback loop, both AIs get better. Researchers were able to use this along with EKGs, which is, you know, the one where they put like stickers on your body and they monitor like brainwaves and stuff. They were able to use that to have the AI create faces that users found attractive. And it had about an, I believe it said 87% success rate or something like that. So anyways, why are we talking about this? Why is this important? 
To quote the article, there are certainly some sinister ways technology like this could be used. The faces don't need to be attractive, they just need to look real. Any circumstances where it would be useful to have fake people, like profile photos for dummy social media accounts used to manipulate online discourse, are ready target for the technological treachery. Luckily, the research team has some productive non-catfish applications for their system in mind. Quote, this could help us to understand the kind of features and their combinations that respond to cognitive functions such as biases, stereotypes, but also preferences and individual differences, unquote, said... Tuka Rotsalo, an associate professor at the University of Helsinki. Our next story, this is just a quick one. Three flaws that sat in the Linux kernel since 2006 could deliver root privileges to attackers. I mean, we've seen stories like this before. The important reason I'm sharing this story is just to remember that Linux is not a magic bullet. Just because you're using Linux doesn't suddenly mean that you're perfectly private and perfectly unhackable. All three flaws have been patched. If you're using current supported Linux distros, if you're using distros that are past end of life, well... I'm going to hope you know what you're doing on that one. Researchers have created a Bluetooth transmitting virus to improve COVID-19 tracking accuracy. The headline says it all. Researchers created a digital virus that transmits via Bluetooth, and they are trying to use it to simulate the spread of COVID. The goal is to help alert people sooner to a potential infection. How anyone thought this was a good idea is completely beyond me. If I didn't download a contact tracing app, I'm not consenting to you spreading your virus, even if it's benign and it doesn't do anything. Like, don't put things on my device without my consent. I guess, moral of the story, keep Bluetooth off when you're not using it. It's really risky and it's really not safe. DuckDuckGo Privacy Essentials had some vulnerabilities. So this article is a technical deep dive. However, fortunately, the author said in the comments, there's basically two takeaways. Number one, the issues have been fixed. So if you use DuckDuckGo Privacy Essentials, these particular issues, you don't have to worry about them anymore. But more importantly, this is my personal takeaway. This plugin had some serious issues with it. So remember to be careful when you install plugins. You know, choose them carefully. Ask if you really need them. Uh, make sure they've been vetted. Make sure they've got eyes on them. I mean, this could happen to anybody. I, I know we're picking on DuckDuckGo. This could have happened to uBlock Origin. This could have happened to HTTPS everywhere. I'm not saying that these things don't happen. I'm just saying... You have to be aware, you have to be careful. All right, I thought this story was really cool. There are flaws in popular self-encrypting solid state drives that let attackers decrypt data. So to quote the article, security researchers have discovered multiple critical vulnerabilities in some of the popular self-encrypting solid state drives or SSDs that could allow an attacker to decrypt disk encryption and recover protected data without knowing the password for the disk. So researchers tested three of the brand Crucial and four of the brand Samsung. They found several different issues from the looks of it. It looks like if you're not vulnerable to one, you're probably vulnerable to another one. Unfortunately, some of these flaws apply to Windows BitLocker if you're using hardware-based encryption. So I, first of all, I fully recommend full disk encryption. It's amazing. Even if you're not somebody who's targeted, it's just a good idea because, you know, devices get lost, things get stolen. There's two solutions. First of all, if you're using Windows BitLocker, you can switch from hardware encryption to software encryption. And the article talks about how to do that. Alternatively, you can, and in my opinion should, use Veracrypt because it's open source. I believe it's been audited, but I could be wrong about that part. And it is, they even point out specifically in the article, it is not victim to this because it is software-based encryption. And our last research story, two out of three people never read mobile app privacy settings. Safety.com, who posted this, they surveyed 1,154 U.S. residents. 65.9% of the people reported never reading mobile app privacy settings. 21.4% report sometimes reading the settings. 126 report always reading the settings. 
Age played a major role, with 72.6% of people under 35 saying they never read privacy settings. 56.1% of people age 55 and up report never reading privacy settings. The most common sentiment among survey respondents who said that they never check privacy settings was that they simply didn't care enough about what these apps track and record. As one person noted, quote, it's impossible to tell who is tracking what for me. I try not to think about it too much, unquote. This often accompanies the I have nothing to hide mentality. This is why we're still doing this podcast. This is why we're still running TechLore and the New Oil People clearly still have a lot to learn about, you know, how dangerous this tracking can be and the fact that they do have options. So please share the episode. This is a pretty sad research. All right, let's move into politics. Here on the U.S. national level, Bruce Schneier shared a paper on the insecurity of ES&S voting machines hash code. So ES&S is a company that makes electronic voting machines here in the US. I believe actually last year, they were like the first company to actually not open source, but welcome uh, security researchers and auditors, which typically electronic voting machine companies have not been real keen to do. There's a great HBO documentary called Kill Chain that's actually all about this and I totally recommend it. Two alarming things were found that I'm hoping they will be fixing. First off, if the reference hash code is completely missing, then it'll say, yes, boss, everything is fine, instead of reporting an error. Second, acceptance of testing of voting machines is done by the vendor, not the customer. Acceptance testing is the process by which a customer checks a delivered product to make sure it satisfies requirements. So basically, imagine if you ordered something online, it arrived, and then it was up to the shipper to market as having been delivered safely not you you don't have the right to say like well this broke in transit those are huge problems and i hope they will get those fixed all right our next story this is a great news story this makes me so happy the u.s government finally gets serious about iot security the u.s government last december passed the iot security improvement act of 2020 the act requires IoT devices or smart devices that are purchased by the U.S. government to meet standards set by the National Institute of Standards and Technology, the NIST. So the reason this is good news is because, number one, this will likely result in better IoT security across the board because companies are not going to bother making two sets of devices. They're not going to bother making the cheap piece of crap that doesn't meet these standards as well as the slightly less cheap piece of crap that does meet these standards. They're just going to cut the low end line they're going to focus on the one that does meet the standards and consumers are going to want that one anyways because you know it meets government standards secondly the thing that makes this law really cool is it's headed by the nist politicians are not tech people you know a lot of them don't understand technology a lot of the time laws are slow so by the time this law would get passed they would be recommending using you know encryption standards from like five years ago that have already been cracked instead what they did is they said the nist will issue the guidelines and the law also allows for the flexibility for the NIST to change those guidelines and update them as the landscape changes. Unfortunately, something we are not doing right here in the U.S. is protecting our grid from cyber attack. I can pretty much sum this up in one sentence. The Government Accountability Office says that the distribution systems for U.S. energy grid are increasingly, quote, vulnerable to cyber attack, in part due to the introduction of and reliance on monitoring and control technologies, unquote. We are adding a lot of smart devices to our energy grid to help monitor and manage it. Unfortunately, there is no guidance over how to best protect that data. And some cities and some grids have done a little bit. But again, there's no uniform guidance and there's no like overarching 
legislation and unfortunately it's making us very vulnerable. This next story was a big story that made the rounds. Cars have your location and this spy firm wants to sell it to the US military. So there's a group called the Ulysses Group. They are claiming that they can provide real-time information on specific cars, quote, in nearly any country on earth, unquote, by using, quote, data collected and sent by the cars and their components themselves, unquote. As most of us know, modern cars come with all kinds of fancy features. They come with not just Bluetooth, but they also come with navigation, apps. Because of those abilities, your cars are also giving off a lot of data. And we've talked about that on some previous episodes. This group is getting their hands on all that data and collecting it. And now they basically want to partner with the US military because they're not just working in the US, although I'm sure this will be used in the US. They're also working in other countries, which means the military would have real-time, much more accurate information on the movements of enemy soldiers, uh, intelligence officers, things like that. And they could use it for surveillance. They could use it to plan operations, drone strikes, things of that nature. At any rate, the whole article from Vice kind of sort of outlines the history of the Ulysses Group and uh, military surveillance operations overall. It is definitely worth reading. Let's talk about last year's Twitter mega hack. So last summer, for those who don't remember, there was a major Twitter hack. It involved multiple high profile accounts like Kanye West, Bill Gates, I believe Elon Musk was one of them. And basically what they were doing is the, the hackers got in and they posted a status that was like, hey, I'm feeling generous because, you know, they're posing as all these super rich millionaire people. They're like, I'm feeling generous. If you send Bitcoin to this address, I will double whatever you send me. And they made over $100,000, I believe, if I remember that correctly. Of course, they got caught. Twitter locked down their system. One of the hackers, Graham Ivan Clark, has been sentenced to three years in jail. Clark was underage when this happened. He's now 18. Because he was underage, they decided to charge him as a minor. They gave him three years in jail and three years probation. He is not allowed to use a computer without supervision, which sounds horrible to me. <laughs> and uh, if he breaks his violation or he breaks his parole, he will spend a full 10 years in jail. There are two other Twitter hackers, and I believe that they have not been sentenced yet. Let's move over to Utah. The U.S. state of Utah is campaigning against porn. So Utah, for those who don't live in the U.S., Utah is a very conservative state. Um, they have a very high population of a specific religious sect called the Latter-day Saints, or you might know them as the Mormons. Very conservative, traditional people. Very nice people in my experience, but very traditional conservative values. So because they have such a high population, Utah tends to be very aggressive about things that they deem as immoral. And to quote the article, a new requirement that all cell phones and tablets sold in the state automatically block pornography. It also says that this law would not go into effect until five other states also enact similar laws. The National Center on Sexual Exploitation, an anti-porn group, cheered the bill, saying that while many electronic devices come with filters installed, turning them on can be challenging for parents. So that was kind of their rebuttal to the whole idea of like, well, they already have parental filters. I think the real privacy concerns come from this last note I made here. The bill as written could apply to any device activated in Utah, raising the possibility that it could require location tracking to activate filters on the phones, of anyone coming into the state. And I didn't make a note of this part, but they did point out in the article that these filters are not just about porn. It's a lot of them will block anything that's sexual adjacent. They'll block websites about sexual education or LGBTQ issues. They, they'll block things that could be considered sexual even though they're not porn. You know, nude artwork, for example. Let's jump over to California real quick. California has passed a new regulation banning dark patterns. 
an example of a dark pattern. I'm sure you've seen these. For example, if you try to delete your account and it says you have to contact customer support, there are things that are designed to force you into a certain behavior, whether that's keeping your account or accepting cookies or signing up for a premium, things like that. The law will also require a privacy options icon that users can use to manage privacy settings like opting out of personal information sale. Even though this is a California law, I think this is great because as I mentioned earlier with the IoT devices, people aren't going to make one website for California and another website for the rest of the US. You know, they're going to make one website and they're going to make it conform to California standards because it's always easier to conform with the strictest standards and then just let everybody else catch up. All right, now we're going to move overseas. We're going to start in the UK. Victory in the Against Borders for Children campaign. School census nationality data destroyed after ICO audit. In 2016, the UK did a census campaign and they recorded the nationality and country of birth data from millions of school children. When they initially did that, the schools minister told the MPs, the members of parliament, that the data would stay in-house. They would stay with the Department of Education for analytical, statistical, and research purposes. But this charity who uh, posted this, this article, they did an investigation and they found out that wasn't true. The data would have fallen under the government's overall data sharing agreement, so it would have been subject to being shared with other departments. And so finally, after a long fight, this group has successfully gotten this nationality data deleted on all these children. No matter where you stand on the idea of border security and open borders, I, I think we can agree that, number one, governments are really bad at respecting citizens' privacy. Number two, governments are really bad at keeping that information safe from hackers and data breaches. And number three, I hope we can all agree that children kind of deserve an education, and I'm not sure what the point of this information is like i could understand if they wanted data on first language or something like that for that very reason you know maybe they could create programs to help students that don't speak english as a first language but nationality country of birth that just seems so unnecessary okay a quick apple story france is refusing to block apple's privacy changes so the online ad industry whoever that is the article didn't specify that they attempted to get france to block apple's upcoming changes which would require users to give consent to be tracked France refused to block this while the case is investigated. So that's great. We're going to talk about this in a second. Basically, Apple has this uh, new program called App Tracking Transparency, which requires apps to ask permission before tracking users individually. Ad industries do not like this, of course, because when most people are presented with pop-up, they're going to say, ew, no, leave me alone, and they're going to deny it. Some of these companies attempted to get France to like put an injunction on this and keep it from being implemented. France is still investigating the case to decide whether or not this practice conforms with antitrust laws and stuff like that. But in the meantime, they're not blocking it. Apple can roll it out. All right, and finally, let's go to China for a minute. So first up, Signal appears to be blocked in China. CNBC did an article. They talked about how it is still available for download in Chinese app stores, but it will not connect to the servers without a VPN. And unfortunately, China does that a lot. There's really not much to say. It's just, you know, a big story that people should be aware of. Signal is now blocked in China, which I honestly kind of thought was only a matter of time. Second, Chinese apps are attempting to bypass Apple's app tracking transparency. So we just talked about this. Apple is rolling out their app tracking transparency. Basically, China has invented their own tracking identifier for iPhones that does not fall under the ATT. This would allow them to continue tracking users without consent. However, the article suggests that this still may not work because according to Apple's rules, 
they require all tracking to be done via ATT-approved methods. Again, according to the article, Apple is kind of aware that this is happening, but right now they're kind of turning a blind eye. Once they start rolling out ATT, once they start really cracking down on tracking of users, it will be interesting to see how they handle this conflict with China. And our last story, China is restricting Tesla use by military and state employees. So China has decided that anyone who works for the government or the military or other like closely related agencies are not allowed to use Tesla vehicles. This appears to apply not only to official vehicles, but like your personal life, like you are not allowed to buy a Tesla. The reason is because the external cameras have the ability to constantly record, which in theory that footage could be sent back to the US. So China is worried that it's a security risk as it would map out the city, it would give you an on the ground view of people's routes they take to work, the buildings they work at, so on and so forth. Okay, we have no FOSS stories this week, so we're gonna go straight into misfits. A big story this week, a hacker got all my texts for $16. So a vice reporter paid a hacker to demonstrate that he could take over SMS messages without any indication on the victim's end. The hacker was able to intercept and receive all SMS messages with almost no technical skill and a total cost of only $16. So this is interesting because we've talked about uh, SIM swapping before and how it's incredibly easy. It takes almost no skill. But the interesting thing about SIM swapping is it requires social engineering. It requires me to get in touch with your carrier and convince them that I am you and I am trying to change my SIM card to this other device that I'm in control of. And you will actually be tipped off if, if this happens because your phone will suddenly lose connectivity to the network. Well, this new method bypasses that actually. You, uh, your phone still functions, you just never get the text messages, so you have no idea this is happening. Moral of the story here, don't use SMS two-factor, use an app like, uh, like Tofu or Aegis or something like that, or uh, use hardware key if you can, that's even better. And don't use SMS at all. Just use encrypted messaging. Use Signal, Wire, Matrix, XMPP, whatever floats your boat, man. Our next story, Victoria University of Wellington accidentally deletes all files stored in a desktop computer. Victoria University of Wellington was performing a data wipe to clear inactive users. So that includes like old students that no longer attend, teachers that have moved on or retired, so on and so forth. An unexpected issue, quote unquote, wiped all files saved on desktop computers, which affected a significant number of staff and some students. Most of the files have been recovered, but not all of them. The particular piece that made me like hurt me on the inside is said some PhD students reported losing a whole year's worth of data. Yikes. So the moral of the story, keep backups. A lot of the stuff that we talk about on this podcast and on our websites, yes, we put it in the context of hackers and privacy and things like that, but a lot of it has other applications too. We talk about like keeping backups in case ransomware hits you. Sometimes it's not ransomware. Sometimes it's an IT glitch or, you know, an idiot. And, you know, we talk about going all the way back to the beginning, like using throwaway email addresses and compartmentalizing your email. Well, sometimes it's just human error and somebody uses CC instead of BCC. Keep in mind that all of this stuff, again, even though we tend to frame it in the context of privacy and security, they have multiple applications. The FBI is warning of a rise in PYSA ransomware operators targeting US and UK schools. PYSA, PISA, I don't know how that's pronounced. Anyways, this is a pretty standard thing. Phishing emails, social engineering, and the compromise of remote desktop protocol credentials through theft or brute force are some of the tactics used to gain entry into a target system. 
I'm going to bundle that one in with this next story. U.S. taxpayers targeted in Netwire Remco's Trojan attack wave. Same thing. Phishing emails that claim to be related to taxes because it's tax season here in the U.S. Hackers will send out emails saying like, oh, there's a problem with your return. Click this to open it. Boom. Now you got malware. They're all ransomware in Trojans. So they're designed to steal credentials. They're designed to steal data. They're designed to encrypt your computer. So just be careful what you click on, man. Be careful of emails. Be careful of social engineering. Uh, use good security. All that fun stuff. Singapore Bank turns on face verification at ATMs. So this is from OCBC Bank in Singapore. It is currently available at eight ATMs. It is an opt-in system at the moment, and it allows customers to check balances without a card. In time, they are hoping to expand the service to include withdrawals, deposits, transfers, things like that. And of course, I'm sure they plan to expand it to other ATMs as well. Currently, it is using the government's national biometric database, which does have some interesting uh, security features, like the ability to detect if it's a photo or if it's an actual person. I don't like this because it's facial recognition and it pings the government's database, but at the same time, like, I guess if, if they can prove that it isn't fooled by photos, it's probably safer than a card. That's just something to be aware of. Facial recognition is coming. It's a new fingerprint scan, and um, it is coming to all parts of our lives. On the topic of AI and facial recognition, a new PowerPoint tool can assess your body language during Zoom and team calls. This is actually not really a new tool. It's called Presenter Coach. It was originally developed back in 2009 to help people practice presenting, and it would watch their body language and their posture, and it would give them tips on how to be more confident and so forth. But now it is being reworked and rolled out to assess body language during web meetings. I guess they're going to try and check for if you're paying attention, if you're engaged, things like that. Just wanted to put that on everybody's radar because we're, vaccines are starting to roll out, but we are still very much in a digital world of web meetings and Zoom meetings and things like that. Let's talk about IoT devices again. Your insecure Internet of Things devices are putting everyone at risk. Again, this is just another thing I wanted to put on everybody's radar. ZDNet is talking about how everybody's going out and they're buying IoT devices and they're not really putting a lot of thought into the security of these devices. Lesson, if you must get an IoT device, which personally I think you shouldn't unless you actually need it, but if you do get one, just practice good security, you know, change the default password, look through the settings, try to put it on its own VLAN or its own. Uh, one thing they recommend is to get a separate router just for IOT devices and connect to that. And of course, get reputable devices. Don't just get the cheap $15 crap because it'll never get updated and it's probably super vulnerable. Okay. That was all of our news this week. That was a really busy week. A lot happened. Thank you for bearing with us. Thank you for listening to the surveillance report. We are so happy to know that you are trying to be productive and staying safe out there. It is a dangerous world with a lot going on and it's constantly changing. We want to ask you a favor. We want to ask that you share this podcast around, make sure that you're subscribed. And if you're on a platform that allows for ratings like iTunes, then please give us a rating. We are trying to reach as many people as possible with the message of privacy and every little thing you can do from sharing to subscribing, rating, all of that, that helps. So again, thank you for listening. Stay safe out there and we will see you next week.